and welcome to the weekly podcast of Plugged Into Christ. As always, this is your announcer, Aiden Grady. This weekly podcast is hosted by pastor and teacher, William Polis. Continues in teaching the series titled, Acts the History of the Holy Church. Today is part 10 of our current series. As Pastor Polis continues in the book of Acts in chapters 23 and 24. Our prayer here at Plugged Into Christ is that you'll be blessed in getting knowledge and understanding from the Word of God. Now here's Pastor William Polis with part 10 of our weekly podcast. Welcome to our listeners today as we're getting ready to, well, getting close to the end of the covering the book of Acts. After today we'll have just four chapters until we are done and we conclude this book of Acts. Just a reminder that each one of these are separate podcasts and our plan is to do it that way from uh, the very first chapter of the book of Acts until we cover the last chapter in the book of Revelation. Each one of these individual podcasts is an overview of each book and each chapter that we cover. In doing so, uh, when I do podcasts, I conduct a deep uh, uh, study of the Bible using Holy Scripture. I use commentary as needed while exposing the Bible through the lenses of ancient history and biblical archaeology. In using all these tools, I bring the Bible alive for you in hope that your study of it will be fruitful and the learning will be long and abiding. All right, let's get started today with our book, the book of Acts, chapters 23 and 24. Acts chapter 23, Paul's defense before the Sanhedrin. And we begin in Acts chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. Now, if you remember, at the conclusion of Acts chapter 22, we read that Paul was a prisoner of the Roman commander, Claudius Lysias. In chapter 23, Paul made the, well, it must make a defense before the Sanhedrin, Luke the writer of Acts, did not write in chapters. This is why the chapter just breaks right into Paul immediately beginning his defense in verse 1. What he does, Paul that is, is use a common formal address for assembling to assemble Jews and, and he affirmed his commitment to godly duty as a Jew. We find this also in Romans 15.19, Philippians 3.6, and 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 4-7. through 7. Despite this innocent line of address, the Sanhedrin knew this man was from Tarsus, an outspoken Christian who was totally convinced that the Messiah of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. They believed uh, none of his Christian faith. They had attempted to suppress it ever since they murdered Stephen. So their conclusion, what would be their only conclusion, could be that they intended to condemn their consciousness. Ananias, whom we read in about in Acts chapter 23, verses 2, is a son of Nebadeus, who was appointed priest in 48 AD and held the office approximately 10 years. Nebadeus was famous for his bribery and the plundering of the temple, temple offerings. He was assassinated, though, by Jewish guerrillas in 66 AD. And he's, the one that gives the, he, he's the one that gives the order to strike Paul in the mouth. Now, this is illegal because in our Western laws, it's the same as it would be with the Sanhedrin, that a prisoner was innocent until proven guilty. Acts chapter 23, verse 3. In Paul's response in Acts chapter 23, 3, he astonishes uh, us as much as he does Ananias, Ananias's order. Now, now you, must, you must get here that, understand that Paul is telling Ananias here, he's, Paul follows Christ. He is turning the other cheek, just as, just as Christ would have done, and he does not retaliate. When assaulted or having an insult hurl, hurled at him, Paul makes no threats of his, to his life, nor does he tell him after being struck that 
what he does say to him is, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. This is what Paul, this is Paul's response to Ananias. Now, Paul was justified in calling Ananias a whitewashed wall because of his character and his hypocrisy. Jesus calls out the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27. Now, when he calls them, woe, you, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, that's what, he, that's what Jesus was calling out the, the Pharisaic uh, members. We also remember that Paul was justified in expressing righteous anger and that he spoke calmly and delivered the prophecy of God's judgment to Ananias. I believe in all things, Paul was justified to speak to them because the Lord was with him. Acts chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Luke infers in his remarks that, that there were those who stood near Paul and the high priest sat some distance away. Now, there were 71 people in addition to Paul who would have occupied that room. And if that's all the council that would have showed up to this hastily called meeting, it wasn't an actual set-up meeting by the Sanhedrin. After Paul's angry words, he retreats to his opening lines and calls the council brethren once again. He explains his words in declaring in verse 5, I did not know, brethren, that he was a high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Acts chapter 23, verses 6 through 8. Now here Paul changes tactics. He knows that the council is made up of both Sadducees and Pharisees. The Sadducees are the ones who control the council. And and that includes, of course, Ananias. They, the Sadducees, were constantly besieging the Pharisees concerning the subject of resurrection. If Paul can create a doctrinal civil war, it would divert attention away from him to the ongoing debate, internal debate. And this is exactly what Paul does. He addresses the council with the gracious meaning of men and brethren. Then he proceeds to tell them that he is a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. Now here is Paul cutting right to the bottom line. Some would argue that Paul was really not a Pharisee anymore since he spent his life spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. This man, Paul, baptized Timothy, cut off his own hair in a vow, paid for the purification of four Jewish brothers, and and now has rushed back to Jerusalem in time for the Feast of the Pentecost. Paul sees himself very much as a Pharisee, and so the Pharisees and the council considered the subject concerning resurrection of greater importance than Paul who was brought as a prisoner before, the, before them by Claudius Lysias. Paul, though still a Pharisee, believes in the resurrection and tells the council in verses 6 and 7, and we see the immediate reaction of, of dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which divides the council. The Sadducees in verse 8 and are, say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but that the Pharisees confess both. Note here, in what I just mentioned there, the Sadducees reject the castacology of the Pharisees, which, is, which involved a elaborate hierarchy of good and evil angels. Acts 23, 9 and 10. In verse 9, the Pharisees cried aloud and said, We found no evil in this man, but if, if a spirit or angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. In verse 10, a great discussion rises up, so the commander, Claudius Lysias, feared that Paul would be torn to pieces by their by them, commanded his soldiers, who, com- who came from the Tower of Antonia, which is where the Romans would have had their soldiers stationed, and they calls them down to the Sanhedrin to take him by force from among the council and then bring him back to the barracks. Acts 23, verse 11. Not that night, but the night following, the next day, 
Paul experienced the fourth of five visions. The others occurred in Acts 16.9, Acts 18.9 and 10, Acts 18.22.17 through 21, and Acts 27.23 and 24. This message emphasized the control over these events, that God had control, and he offers Paul courage. Mainly Jesus informed Paul that these trial appearances have not been defense for his life, but rather a witness of the truth. The plot against Paul in Jerusalem, Acts 23, 12-22. We're going to read through uh, the summary of Acts 23, 12-15. In Acts 23, 12, the radical Jews, perhaps still the Asian conspirators, who had first started the riot, took an oath not to eat or drink until Paul was dead. In verse 13, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. The wording of verse 14 is very important. It says, they went to the chief priests and elders. Now, they, invo- they avoid the minority Pharisees who had spoken on Paul's behalf, but instead went to Ananias and his cohort to involve them in this pretext. Though Luke does not specifically say so, the passage strongly suggests that the Sanhedrin hierarchy agreed with and entered into a murder conspiracy. So much for law and justice in the Sanhedrin. Apparently, these anarchists, held by the Pharisees of Sanhedrin, were willing to face the wrath of the Romans if they were to kill Paul, who was a Roman prisoner, and the citizen. So great was their hatred of Paul, and so inflamed was their religious emotions that they worried not for themselves, but what they can accomplish. Acts 23, 16-22 Any plot that is well known in a city has little chance of success. We know that in verse 16, Paul's sister heard of the ambush and went to the barracks to tell Paul. In verse 17, Paul called one of the centurions and asked him to take the young man who had come uh, on behalf of his sister to Claudius Lysias and and to tell him him what was going on. And he tells the commander of the plot. And we read that in Acts 23, verses 19 through 22. Paul was transferred to Caesarea, Acts 23, verses 23 through 35. Acts 23, verses 23 and 24. The Roman troops prepared at the commander's orders were, they were ready to move Paul from the barracks. So, 470 Roman troops, there were 200 infantry, 70 cavalry, and 200 deoxylobi, which is a word that only appears here in the New Testament, which means spearmen, do this in the third hour of the night. In the third hour of the night, that is 9 p.m. in the evening. And they were to take Paul to the, as a prisoner to the provincial capital of Caesarea, the headquarters of the governor, Felix. Acts 23, verses 25 through 30. Now, Paul could not have known the content of the private or official correspondence between the Roman commander and the procurator of Judea. Of course he did not. But this is why the verse, 20, uh, verse 25 says, he wrote letters as follows, which we read in Acts 23, verses 25 through 30. The biblical text uses the name Claudius Lysias as the commander, but he is here we actually confirm his name in the verse in this in the verse situation, and it was very different because now Claudius Lysias he's not going to send a questionable case to the, the governor of a Jewish revolt of any kind. He's not going to just anyone. This was special. This was a different situation, which involved Paul being a Roman citizen. That's why it was it was different. Now we notice that Claudius Lysias orders that his accusers be made present and give their case against him in verse 30. Acts 23, verses 31 through 33. 
This is the third time that Paul has been sneaked out of the city or Jerusalem at night. Now the Roman foot soldiers of that group stopped at Anpaberitus, resting there for a while before returning to the barracks. While Paul rides on a horse, and he's accompanied by the Roman cavalry, which proceeds to Caesarea. This is about 60 miles from Jerusalem and 30 miles to Antipateris. Acts 23, verses 34 and 35. When Felix learned that Paul came from Tarsus to Cilicia, he delayed the case for the arrival of his accusers. Essentially, Felix attempted to determine his jurisdiction. And this is because Seleucia and Judea fell under his rule, and he had no problem hearing the case himself. Now, we should not make much of the palace of Caesarea. In 56-57 AD, it had become a civil building containing the governor's headquarters, and then in the very, in the very lower part of it were cells for prisoners. Acts 24, Tertullus for the prosecution. Acts 24, 1-9. As we open chapter 24, we're going to overview chapter 24, verses 1-4, through 4, and we notice as the chapter opens, Paul has been a prisoner of Caesarea for five days. In that time, Felix awaited the arrival of the prosecution team from Jerusalem, and as we should have known, it was headed by Ananias along with some of his elders, as well as a lawyer named Tertullus. In verses 2 through 4, it was the custom of the day of the attorneys would come and praise the presiding judge and promise to be brief. Now, as for Felix's rule, he had seen anarchy before, which had increased in his brutal attempts to put down popular uprisings that inflamed the people. Jews at the time would have been horrified to hear that the high priest mouthpiece would have to say what they would have to give in evidence to Governor Felix, although certainly it would be politically expedient. Acts 24, verses 5 through 9. Now here it comes, this troublemaker, to tell us what he says about Paul. He says he stirred up riots, thereby threatening Pax Romana, just like Jesus. Paul was accused of political sedition, which we find in Luke 23, verses 2 through 5, which he did with Jesus. Tertullus accuses Paul of stirring up riots, but apparently he's claiming that he was a worldwide terrorist. For in his language, he claims that Paul had done this among all the Jews all over the world. Now, the second charge is most interesting. He accuses Paul of being the ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Only here in the New Testament do we find that word, Nazarene, describing Christians, though it applied to Jesus himself. Verse 22, we have no idea why he used the word Nazarene instead of the way, which was commonly used back then. It was called the way. Perhaps he wanted to evoke the old line that nothing good came out of Nazareth, which is uh, quoted in the Bible in John chapter 1, verse 46. In verse 6, Tertullus gets to the real issue, taking this all the way back to the trumped-up charges of the Asian Jews in Acts 21, 29. See, they were claiming that Paul defiled the temple by bringing Trumpius beyond the wall. Tertullus only claims, though, he only tried to do that, but was seized by the Jews to protect their holy property. In verse 7, Tertullus says that he was seized with great violence by the commander Lysias, who took them out of their hands. And he's, he's, he's describing the fact that he was before the Sanhedrin before, in Acts 21, and because they were going to tear him apart, all apart, they here comes here comes the Roman commander Lysias, and he pulls him out of there and actually lifts him up so that they can't reach him over their heads, the soldiers, and take him into the barracks. Paul for the defense, Acts twenty four ten through twenty one. 
We begin in Acts 24.10, where Paul begins with complimentary remarks and merely acknowledged Felix's tenure connection with Israel and the familiarity with religious events in and around Jerusalem. Acts 24.11, whereas Tertullus spoke in general condemnatory statements, Paul doesn't do that. Paul invited Felix to check out the facts. Only 12 days earlier, he, he had come to Jerusalem just to worship at the feast. And virtually in all those days, he has spent in Roman custody. So, Paul's obvious question to Felix is, when have I had time to ferment a rebellion? We must realize that Paul did not go to Jerusalem to evangelize, rather to, but to worship at the feast. Now, to evangelize would have been Paul's goal everywhere else in the world. Paul would only evangelize in Jerusalem if invited to do so by the Jerusalem church. And this is according to Galatians chapter 2, verses 7-9. through 9. In Acts chapter 22, that did happen in Acts 24, verses 14-16. through 16. Having denied the charges brought against him, Paul established this whole squabble was religious and not a political issue. He admitted to several things. Number one, he worshipped the God of the Hebrews. Number two, he was a follower of the way. Number three, he believed everything in the law and the prophets. Number four, he had hope in God. Number five, he believed in the resurrection. Six, he worked hard to keep his conscience clear before God and man. We must remember that the Pharisees of the Sanhedrin were the minority, especially in that group of the, of the Sanhedrin, which comprised about 70 to 80 people. And the Pharisees are the ones of Jerusalem who supported Paul. The group that took issue with Paul and the Sanhedrin were the Sadducees. Now Paul ignored the views of the Sadducees and spoke rather of widely held views of the Jews in general. While the Sadducees did not share the Pharisees' views concerning resurrection, Paul as a Pharisee was sufficiently satisfied to believe that it, ca it characterized the true representations of all the Jewish faith. Now let's not miss Paul switched from defense to witness in this trial. In three short verses, 11 through 13, he deals with the charges. In the next three verses, which are now longer, that follow, what he does is rather witness his Christian faith. Jesus told him he would, he would go give a witness both in Jerusalem and in Rome. And here, he's in Caesarea. And this is only a stopping place between the two. Acts 24, verse 17. Now Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, introduces the issue of offering as a second reason for Paul's appearance in Jerusalem. And he also, then, Paul does, reiterate that in Romans 15, verse 25 through 27 and 31, as well as 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. We should consider in light of Matthew Henry's commentary that the word gifts in the verse is reference to the Gentile collections for Judea and the word offerings as payment Paul made on behalf of four men. Acts 21, verses 23-26. through 26. Acts 24, 18-20. Paul's actual visit to the temple was not accompanied by any trouble at all. Some of the Asian Jews were absent from his present trial and later accused him which could not be proven because it did not happen. If Paul had done sacrilege during his time with the Sanhedrin, then that to tell us, who is the prosecutor on behalf of the Sanhedrin before Felix, let him raise the point and provide the evidence. Acts 24, verse 21. Here Paul claimed to be a good Jew, a good practicing Jew, who followed Jewish customs and expected the Jewish hope of resurrection. Other preachers in Acts get themselves to the resurrection before they finish. 
whereas the resurrection should be at the end of their preaching. Acts 24, 23-27, the verdict of Felix. We begin in Acts 24, verses 22 and 23. The governor Felix is well aware of the way, but he needed much more detailed report from Claudius Lysias. Felix did not release Paul because he was anticipating the further word from Claudius Lysias so that he continued the confinement of Paul. And, and on and the surface of that, it seemed legitimate. What we've come to realize at the end of this chapter is that Felix is just another political hack who's on the take. He's waiting for a bribe, trying to curry favor with those whom we rule over. So Paul stayed under house arrest, but even, even under arrest, he could have Christian friends who were permitted to visit him and take care of his needs. Acts 24, verses 24 through 26. Now Felix shows up with his wife, and she is a Jewish woman whom, whom Felix is married named Drusilla. Luke does not tell us, but Felix wanted to hear Paul again. Not his, you know, his defense. Not his sermons on righteousness or self-control or the judgment to come. But the Holy Spirit was driving home a point into people in, whose lives in particular message had unique relevance. Paul tells us that Felix was afraid. He decided he wanted to get rid of this preacher so he would not have to hear Paul's convicting talk. Whatever the conviction Felix might have felt about Paul's preaching, it didn't have any dent on Felix's greed. He called for Paul to repeatedly talk with him in hopes of that Paul might, might want to set up a bribe so he can get out. Now, bribes, as far as that goes, were illegal in Rome, under Roman law, but they happened all the time. Acts 24, 27. Acquittal was the only action available to Paul, but this would have upset the Jews. From Luke's account, it appears Felix was then transferred to another command. However, Josephus tells us that Felix's downfall was the result of an outbreak of hostilities between the Jews and the Greeks in Caesarea. Both were claiming rights to the city. The Jews claimed majority rights because of their greater numbers and wealth, and because Herod the Great, a Jew, had rebuilt the temple. The Greeks did the same, claiming majority because they had the support of the military. So Felix used the Syrian troops under his command to retaliate on the Jews. Many people were killed, taken prisoner, or suffered the plundering of their wealth. It's at this point a delegation of Jews went to Rome to complain, and this result of this complaint about Felix um, resulted in him being recalled to Rome. Now he would have suffered severe punishment if not for his brother Pallas, who interceded for him before Nero. You can read this um, that uh, account under Josephus and Antiquity of the Jews, chapter 20, page 182. Now, Felix was replaced by Festius in 60 AD. This is all we have today in our podcast. I hope that you will join us next week for part 11 of Acts, the History of the Early Church where we will cover Acts chapters 25 and 26. Our earnest prayer here at Plugged into Christ is that the, this podcast has helped you in understanding the Bible better and strengthened your faith and encouraged you to spend time reading and studying the Word. I want to encourage you here at Plugged into Christ to spend time in the Word, spend time praying, and most of all, be a part of your local church services each and every Sunday. Now we have new information passed along to you. I know we did last week. We told you about the podcast being through buzzsprout.com. 
And you can set a free account or, uh, or in order to listen to the podcast on Buzzsprout. And here in Plugged Into Christ, we suggest that you go to the Google Play Store, if you have an Android phone, or the App Store, or if you have an iTouch, and download one of the following apps. Amazon Music, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Podcast Deezer, Listen Notes, Player FM, Podcast Index, Spotify, or Pandora. The ones we find that are most easiest to work with are either Spotify or Pandora. Once you have downloaded that, your favorite app, now you just put into the into their search bar, plugged into Christ, and you'll, be able to, you'll see a picture of me in front of a microphone, and you'll be able to listen to and have access to all the podcasts of Plugged into Christ. If you live in the Lorraine County area, and you'd love to come and join us at Lorraine Full Gospel Church, we would love to have you. We are located at 1900 West 19th Street in Lorraine, Ohio. Our normal church service is at three, on Sundays at 2 p.m., and we would love to have you come and join and, and spend some time with us. Until the next podcast, if it be God's will, may the Lord richly bless and keep you. This has been a presentation of Plugged Into Christ with your host, pastor, and teacher, William Polis. This podcast is a production of Plugged Into Christ. This podcast is sponsored through Lorraine Full Gospel Church. This is your announcer, Zayden Grady, wishing you a wonderful rest of your day.